that Digital Society Podcast brings together leading journalists, politicos, and key policy influencers to explore the impact technological change is having in the UK and across the world. And it's hosted by Atos Senior Vice President for Strategy and Communications, Kulver Ranger. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Digital Society podcast from Atos. My name is Kulvir Ranger. I'm SVP for Strategy and Communication and delighted uh, to be hosting uh, this episode where I'm really excited because I'm joined by Darren McCaffrey. And Darren, who uh, most of you who have been watching journalism and media over the last decade or more will have seen him as a regular on BBC, uh, then moving into Sky News, uh, then political editor at Euronews, and now, in which I'm sure we're going to discuss in a bit more detail, becoming one of the uh, huge amounts of talent that is being attracted to GB News, where he will be the political editor. So, Darren, thank you for joining us today, uh, and welcome. No, thank you very much for having me on. Look, we're going to get straight into Darren. This this podcast is rather informal. Uh, we're talking to people from business, people from politics, people from media. Uh, and, and why we're doing that is because we as a business, Atos, are one of the world's big technology companies. We're the guys who provide and manage data, cybersecurity, things like new service design. We operate the big systems for a number of big companies and businesses in all kinds of sectors. And, and I feel and we feel we have a responsibility to talk about how digital is changing the world around us, whether that be from manufacturing, in health and life sciences, in financial services, because we play a significant role in that. But what we also understand is the need to have the conversations with people like yourselves, who are really that channel, that 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 um, link to the broader public and their understanding of how the world is changing. So let, let's come back to your world. How, how have you seen um, the world of news media uh, change in your time uh, in all the sort of fantastic organizations that you've been involved in, but particularly through that lens of uh, technology? Well, well, massively. I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, I've only really been doing this for about 12, 13 years, and the technological change is mind-blowing in many ways. When I first started, particularly with Sky, uh, news back in the day, you couldn't get on air unless you had essentially a big satellite truck. Um, and you would turn up to a story, and there would be a truck, uh, there would be a sat engineer, a cameraman, a sound man, um, and all that was to get you live on TV. Whereas today, what you need, well, I mean, all you need really is a phone uh, and a 4G connection. Uh, and you can pretty much pop up anywhere uh, as long as the, uh, the signal's pretty good. And that means that actually, you know, news is changing in terms of how news is made. It means that it is so much easier to actually to tell stories, to get places, to get news on air far, far quicker. Uh, because, you know, if something has happened, it means that people can simply turn up uh, and get on air immediately. They don't have to wait for that uh, satellite truck. It also means that loads of people are filming news themselves. They don't have to, we don't have to rely on news organisations to news gather in a sense. Uh, millions of people uh, do that and can do uh, that these days. And then that's not to get into the sense of kind of, you know, technology itself uh, in terms of 
what uh, and how people consume news. Because clearly, obviously, you know, 24 hour news has been around for a long time. People still do sometimes sit down and watch the TV, unbelievably. But clearly, you know, lots of people have got their phones, and that is how uh, they're increasingly uh, actually getting their news. I'd like to explore that a bit with you further because it's a really interesting point because Sky News was the original disruptor around 24-hour news. Uh, It it was the one that sort of brought that rolling content uh, to the masses. Um, And as you say, devices now have almost taken that in a parallel direction where we're not now looking at a singular channel. We're looking at multiple channels, multiple voices providing us with all kinds of information. How do you feel the 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 role of the traditional media versus, and I mean television, broadcast, even in their digital channels, versus that non-traditional social media platforms providing news? How, how do you think that's playing out at the moment, particularly from your viewpoint as a political editor? Well, I think in many ways, uh, you know, technology is a great leveller to a large degree in the sense that it means that essentially news organisations or people or communities can uh, can inform. They can be part of the news business. They don't need, you know, tens of millions of pounds uh, anymore. And that's good and that should be welcome. Um, And it is a challenge, though, you're right, kind of what people would brand the mainstream media or the old traditional media. You're right in pointing out, of course, Sky was... What Britain's first, Europe's first 24-hour news channel, uh, back in the day it was pretty revolutionary, now it seems pretty old school. Uh, They recognise, just like every other news organisation recognises, that, you know, their model is not TV anymore. In fact, many would say that's kind of just a bit part of a much wider package that they have to offer, which is, uh, you know, on people's phones, on smartphones, uh, online, um, on Snapchat, on Instagram, on Facebook. If you want to reach an audience, that's where you find them uh, these days. And But that is a challenge because clearly trying to tilt yourself away from uh, a very well-established media platform like television to try and compete on all these different platforms with so many more players is is exciting, actually, as a journalist, because it means that so many more stories can be told and people have got so much more choice. But it definitely is a challenge to those news organisations because it means they've got lots more competition. Uh, and talking about competition, you're about to uh, be part of the new competition in the in the media world in the UK with GB News. So really exciting. Look, we've been all, well, those of us who are uh, a bit politicos and media nerds have been uh, observing the emergence of GB News for some while and the uh, leadership of uh, that great journalist, Andrew Neil. Um, can you give us some insight about what's happening? Where are you? When is it going live? We're all sort of waiting and so I think we are going to hopefully start rehearsals in the not too distant future. As always, if anyone's ever worked in TV or indeed actually started their own business, uh, you know, trying to get things going um, obviously takes time. And I think to a degree, the pandemic's clearly had an impact on that as well. Um, but I think the plan is, uh, as I say, rehearsals in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully going to go live at some point in uh, June. But yeah, you're right. It is, uh, of course, quite exciting. It's the first 24-hour news station in Britain for uh, many uh, decades. Um, and, uh, you know, the idea is to kind of bring something different so that uh, viewers um, who have been used to Sky and the BBC uh, and some of the other international broadcasters uh, will will find something different. And what, what is that difference? Well, 
I mean, it's going to look in many ways and feel a lot more like the American news channels in terms of CNN and Fox and MSNBC, in that we're getting away from that man behind the desk or woman behind the desk reading the autocue and throwing to news reports. But we want to essentially have a conversation. We want to talk about the issues in Britain, uh, the big issues facing the country, the issues that actually viewers want to talk about that aren't necessarily uh, covered by Sky and the BBC. Um, and it's really ultimately, at the end of the day, actually about offering people choice. Uh, that, that's the kind of bottom line. Uh, and clearly in an industry like ours, uh, as I say, choice is really important, really key. Uh, and yeah, it's quite exciting. So I can't wait to actually get started. It's one of these things where, you know, when you're involved in it, and people do ask the question all the time about, when is it going to go live? When are we going to start? I mean, we generally don't know, but hopefully... Uh, pretty soon, certainly as soon as possible. Well, I'm sure it's going to be a landmark moment in in British media. Um, from and not only because you've joined it, but there's a huge amount of talent that keeps being announced almost on a daily basis. Uh, Simon McCoy, uh, Alice Stewart, just to name a few of people who I've seen, you know, um, joining uh, the the new GB News. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of content comes through, and especially. There's always an opportunity to freshen things up and disrupt and change, uh, and I think this will be exciting. And, and we, we've obviously been seeing that happen in, in some of the radio stations with talk radio, Times Radio, various radio channels emerging, but nothing that's been as visual so far, even though uh, radio has started streaming live. So there's been that blurring some of that. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's the interesting thing, and that's where the kind of technology comes involved in, you know, uh, news organisations, and we certainly will be as well, are doing podcasts uh, all the time. Uh, I mean, you look at the BBC's doing it, Sky's doing it. Uh, so, you know, you've got traditional TV moving into the arena of uh, of radio, essentially. And you've got radio, you're right, like LBC, for example, and, and Times Radio moving into uh, the realm of, of, of visuals, essentially of TV. Uh, and, and that's where, again, as I say, it, you know, it's a pretty competitive place when you've got all these different players. Some of them have been around for a long time, some of them haven't. But they're all having to now essentially put themselves on pretty much every platform that's available because you need to reach as many people as possible. Yeah, well, look, we, we know a little bit about this. So as a business, we've been, you know, we've had the BBC and Sky as customers uh, and clients over the years and hopefully maybe GB News in the future as well. <laughs> uh, but look, uh, one of the things I'd like to ask is about that that role that you see, you know, as GB News becomes a disruptor, there's obviously been uh, a lot of news about, let's put it that way, whether it's been, you know, the tragic pandemic that's hit us all globally uh, uh, over the last year or so, whether it's been Brexit that was uh, the big news for a number of years, or whether it's been, you know, elections that have been going on uh, and, and so on and so forth. How do you see politics at the moment in terms of disruption going on? Because you're coming in as a media organisation. Are you seeing that there's a change in politics that you're trying to reflect? You mentioned things like uh, CNN and Fox News. They feed off a bit of what's happening in the, in the political world. Is that something that's driving this view of where GB News needs to look as well? Yeah, I, I think when I, I, I was referencing kind of CNN and Fox and stuff, um, I, I, I mean kind of more, and I think this is probably what viewers will most most, in terms of the presentational style of the channels, uh, rather than necessarily their editorial content. Clearly, yes, I, I mean, American media is quite polarised. It's quite party political, frankly. 
uh, when it comes down to it. Uh, that's not what we're going to be. Uh, obviously, the rules, as I'm sure people know, uh, with Ofcom are different here. Uh, we are bound by due impartiality um, and, and fairness. So uh, I think editorially, um, actually, it's not going to look like uh, the American networks. But that's not to say that actually even within the current British rules that you can do things uh, differently. And I think one of the things that GB News is uh, determined to do is to reflect a, a wider uh, slice of Britain. Um, you know, there are many people out there who do feel that actually lots of the big media organisations are too city-centric, too London-centric, uh, that actually they're not really representing views across Britain, uh, that there is somewhat of a, a liberal met metropolitan um, slant to that. And I think that kind of people also feel that they have views that aren't reflected maybe because they're seen as unfashionable uh, or they're not in the zeitgeist. Um, and I think if there's one thing GB News is determined to do is actually to give those people a voice. Now, some people might view those or might not like their views. They might think they're unpalatable. Uh, but my word is important that they're heard, because, as you said, what we've understood with politics in the last kind of four or five years is that it's if you if you listen to some of the newsrooms in this country or if you went on Twitter, uh, you'd be entirely disconnected to what's actually happening out in the country and what millions and millions of people think. Yeah, there's always, it appears, when you come to an election or actually just after it, uh, an emergence of, um, I think last time there was, a, there was a shy Tories, or there's always the quiet majority that haven't quite been making that noise that comes from the periphery of, of the political debate. And they have a huge say in the outcome of an election. So hopefully you'll be tapping into more of those kinds of voices uh, as you progress. But uh, on, on a side note, I hope you've got the big budgets as well. Because um, if there's one, the only time that it really occurred to me, as apart from seeing it when you watch it on television, uh, the difference between some of the, the production values of US media and UK media is um, when we had the royal wedding in, uh, um, I think this was actually uh, the... Uh, it was Harry and Meghan's, I think. It was. Well, actually, the one before that, I'm going back a bit, because oh, okay. I was then I was working for uh, uh, the mayor then, Boris Johnson, and I was down at Trafalgar Square, because he, he was going to that wedding. Uh, we were sort of then running the gauntlet of media uh, as the mayor of London was going to answer some questions about how this fantastic wedding had, had taken place, and it was a lovely sunny day, and, you know, those hundreds of thousands of people out celebrating. But as we went through each of the, the media uh, uh, sort of studios, the sort of European, British, all, all very, you know, bit of camera, bit of lights. And, and then you came to the American juggernauts <laughs> with, you know, I can still remember the sort of massive trailers that they had and, you know, the production values and not to mention the rows of donuts and sweets and coffee and everything else. And I thought, yeah, oh, I just, I America just does things bigger and <laughs> with a bit more budget. Um, yeah, I think you're right in terms of, I mean, clearly, obviously, the American networks are better resourced. I mean, you know, they've got a media market of, what, 330 million people. They're only at 66 million or 67 here in the UK. Um, but actually, it is extraordinary when you think about how technology has changed the game, though, in that, uh, like, even 10 years ago, actually, it would be quite difficult to launch a channel because everything was so much more expensive. Um, and what and how you can get on TV these days um, and the production costs have lowered quite dramatically. And as I say, like, um, yeah, 
okay, it might not, I, I, I'm not reflecting this about news, but I'm saying like some of those news organisations might not be big budget, but my word, it's better having them in the game than having to rely on, you know, just a couple of channels. So, um, so yeah, well, I mean, clearly uh, we're, we're very lucky in having uh, some backers and we've got money, uh, but yeah, I, I don't suspect we're going to have um, necessarily the budgets of the American networks or indeed free donuts, I'm afraid. Well, I also remember, you know, that as you say quite rightly about the technology, um, over the years I've been in I've been a broadcaster and do a number of news reviews on a variety of things. In fact, it's been probably sort of almost 20 years since I did my first news review in Sky. But, you know, the way it has changed, obviously, the pandemic and the need to operate differently has turbocharged that that use of technology, whereas we all had to be in studios or we had to use an ISDN line or various other things to get certain quality of image and sound. And now, you know, I find myself sitting here and being able to, uh, probably as you do, you know, do news beyond television via your your laptop or your phone. Yeah, indeed, and 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 you're right. And it's, I mean, clearly there was an there was an effort to do that beforehand, but the uh, the pandemic certainly has sped that up. And it's amazing, like you I mean, you had correspondents across the world reporting from the uh, living room uh, because they weren't going into the office. It's in, I do think you're right, though, in a sense that. When you think about it, watching uh, and being on Zoom, for example, or whatever it is, um, all day, uh, I think probably there is a feeling that actually you do sit sit down and watch and flick on the TV. You probably don't want to watch just other people uh, doing that. So, yeah, maybe there is a cause um, uh, that people do want to see kind of also high quality TV at the same yeah. time. And, and I hope people will be very excited about our studio. Uh, which is going to look very, very different. Uh, I can't tell you much more, but it's going to look very different uh, from a traditional news studio. Uh, I, I did see, I did see on Twitter uh, a short clip of uh, an early walk around of the studio. It was still being, still being fitted out and kits out. Can, can you tell us where GB News HQ is going to be? So we're going to be in Paddington, uh, or we are in Paddington, and in the same building as the Press Association. Uh, so uh, yeah, very, very nice part of of London, which is great. Um, and yeah, I think I think as I say, it's going to the studio's going to feel much more like we're in you're in our home, um, as it's going to have a more homely feel to it uh, than as I say, kind of persons or persons sat behind desk uh, reading reading from an old So it's going to feel uh, yeah, hopefully a lot more familiar and a lot more homely. So, so coming back to your brief, the the political brief that you you'll hold at GB News, and looking forward, how do you see? Because obviously this government uh, has had the uh, the the curveball of of COVID to deal with, um, but how do you see things going forward over the coming 12, 24 months? Obviously, a lot of focus on recovery, the build back agenda, but that coupled with something that the government had started initially, a levelling up agenda. There seems to be some convergence or some need to rationalise how these things will fit together. Do you, do you see that um, yeah, I think, I think emerging from the government and also from the opposition? And how, how you yeah, see that? I, mean, I think there's an understanding in, I mean, clearly at the moment, it, it's fair to say that the Conservatives in um, most of the United Kingdom, uh, maybe not Scotland, are, are seeing kind of a, hopefully a post-pandemic uh, but so I think we can almost claim we're in a, hopefully in a post-pandemic era in the sense that the restrictions are starting to ease so people are getting the freedoms back. Clearly, the vaccination programme has gone uh, very, very well, probably exceeded almost everyone's expectations. And looking forward, there's a hope that the economy is going to rebound uh, pretty quickly. In fact, we're already starting to see signs of, of that. So it's maybe not a surprise in many uh, terms of the government's 
it's doing pretty well in terms of its popular support. But I think there's also recognition within Darling Street that that's not going to be around forever. Uh, people are pretty fickle and uh, they'll soon move on to other things. So, yeah, the Conservative government is looking at the next general election and looking at how it essentially can retain those voters that won in 2019, most notably in the Red Wall, for example. And one of the ideas is this kind of levelling up agenda, uh, which uh, many would say they don't quite know what it means. In some ways, it's a clever term because it catches on what it means that anything can be called levelling up. I mean, if you fill in a pothole in Doncaster, you're levelling up. Uh, literally, long, quite literally. Uh, indeed, indeed. Um or, uh, but it also does, it also then can become meaningless. It doesn't kind of mean anything. So um, I think they're very aware of the, the government that they need to kind of focus in on what it actually means and how they can demonstrate that it's happening. Um, uh, you know, it kind of, it's a bit like the Northern powerhouse under George Osborne in, you know, an admirable aspiration, many would say, but in the end, like what tangible, uh, you know, things that it actually leads uh, to. And it's a struggle for Labour too, because Labour, of course, is trying to battle to win back what they've seen as their traditional heartlands. And in many ways, levelling up, you know, at least in theory, is is the Conservative Party, you know, very much parking the tanks on Labour's lawn. I mean, it, it, it is a, you know, it's a pre-Labour heavy policy, many would say. Yeah, no, and, and I know, um, as you quite rightly say, you know, agendas and political narratives do need things to define them. And I know politicians are greatly accused of wanting to point at shiny things and cut ribbons and open stuff. But there is a point to that because people can then actually say they've done something. Uh, yeah, so people definitely need to, they, 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 need, they need to see it and they need to feel it. Um, yeah. Because you, you, there's no point in saying, oh, we spent 600 million pounds here or uh, you know, we're planning to create 35,000 extra jobs. I mean, if, if, if people can't see it and feel it, it doesn't really matter. You can have all those kind of slightly abstract announcements you want. No, I, I used that uh, that case quite a lot in my time when I, I, I was at City Hall, um, whether it was about putting bicycles on the streets, new buses or digging tunnels with Crosswell. If you're going to spend the money, you have to show people where that money has gone. Even if it's a hole in the ground, it's got to be a bloody big hole if it's <laughs> spending a lot of money on it. But you're right. You know, you're absolutely right about making sense of these agendas. And, and in terms of the role of, as you see it, of industry, because... Look, let's be honest, through the COVID pandemic, industry was asked to, it has come to the fore. We, we were very proud of Atos to play our part in certain areas of supporting the Nightingale hospitals and various other things that we've done. We've also had um, critical workers uh, supporting institutions like uh, energy utilities, banking services, various other things. Our people have worked through the pandemic to ensure crucial services kept running. How, how do you think going forward, the role of industry is being perceived? Because there is that question at the moment around industry and politics uh, and the public sector. And, you know, there's always a question of value for money, that there always should be. Um, but with technology being more and more part of our future, uh, industry will invariably bring that to the yeah, public well, I mean, I mean in, in many ways, of course, you know, the government can only do so far, so much. I and mean, I think the Conservative Party will only be willing to go so far. I mean, this is going to have to be led in, in many ways by the industry. And, you know, when you look around, obviously there is an awful lot of folks, and it's understandable. So we are in London, and, and you know, 
not in spite of what I said earlier, but in addition to it, it is easy to slag off London, isn't it? And, you know, and, and argue, but we should be very proud of our capital city. Uh, you know, it is a proper global uh, city, but there are also great other parts of the UK. And you know, whether it's kind of like cybersecurity in Belfast or gaming in Dundee um, or, or some of the other kind of technological kind of hubs that are starting to see launch in Edinburgh and Leeds and elsewhere, um, you know, there is the possibility that everything doesn't have to be concentrated in London, that there are the workers who are pretty well educated who can do uh, a lot of these jobs. And with kind of 5G rolling out, uh, you know, the technology to enable uh, Britain to actually invest in becoming a technological hub. So I, I think that, uh, you know, the government can go only so far in terms of trying to... Uh, to, to help kind of different regions of the UK out. It obviously can launch free ports, which it's doing. It can move the treasury uh, um, and, and jobs around. But at the end of the day, if the country's going to prosper, it's going to have to rely on industry uh, to, 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 to take up the slack, really, and to actually properly get going with, um, you know, investing in these different parts. Government can give a helping hand, but at the end of the day, it's going to be private companies employing these people. Yeah, it's, it's got to be a partnership, I, I always say. It's got to be a good partnership for all. Um, look, I think we've covered quite a few serious areas there. Um, I, I always like to sort of bring this to a sort of a crescendo with a couple of cheeky questions, if you don't mind. Um, I'm and, braced, and, I'm braced. Yeah, don't, don't worry, they're, 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 not that, they're not that dangerous. But um, the first one is, look, um, uh, on the scale of one to ten, uh, if one being uh, you're a complete digital phobe and 10 being you're a complete digital geek, you've got all the gadgets, you like all all, all the technology, um, uh, you're the first in the queue for the new, uh, um, God forbid, Apple phone or <laughs> device that's coming out. Where, where do you place yourself on, so, on you know the digital I'm really scale? I, 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 I'm going to put myself at a five, put myself at a five in the sense that, like, yeah, I always try to show that I've got, like, the latest iPhone and, you know, I, I do like using technology. But, you know, this week was the first week I've ever ordered groceries online. And Good. so I'm one of these kind of weird people who quite likes going to supermarkets. But I, I did it for the first time. So I'm kind of like, I'm always probably behind. I'm never definitely at the front of the queue when it comes to the first wave of, of technology. I'm, I'm kind of, but I'm not a lagger. I'm, I'm definitely in the middle, I'd say. I'm in the middle. No, I, I, think you're, I must you're be one of the very few people in the country who's not ordered groceries online. But I've done it now, so I feel... I've broken through another um, technology ceiling. <laughs> well done. Well, I, I'm sure this is actually quite a lot of people who feel the same way as, as you, you you do there, that they, they kind of have some things, but they're still yet to kind of fully explore the full service uh, and the options and all the, that, that, that technology can offer. Um, but it's, you know, one step at a time. Um, so we'll take that, we'll take that as, a, as a rock solid five for you. Uh, and, and the final question, and it's probably, in the, I ask this of all our guests, so it's not just aimed for you, um, but it may sound like that because you're in the media, is about how are you currently actually digesting your media? Do you still find that you're using more traditional channels like like newspapers, uh, like, um, like the TV channels, or do you find that you're moving to other areas? Now, obviously, you can say to me, you're going to be moving completely to GB News. Um, but but what what would you use at the moment? Where how do you yeah, digest? Yeah, so tune in channel two three six. Might as well get an adverse bit in. And um, I, I think in many regards, I am um, I, 
I mean, I, I, the thing is, I, I, I consume a hell of a lot of news, I suppose, and media. So, you know, I do normally wake up listening to the Today programme. Uh, I'll often kind of flick on Sky News. I listen to podcasts quite a lot. Um, you know, I, I do think things like kind of BBC sounds are pretty good. Um, but I, I also subscribe to lots of newspapers, which I read on my iPad. I mean, I don't buy papers anymore in a physical form. Um, and I mean, and that's everything from kind of like, you know, the Spectator through to the Guardian to the Times to the FT. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, to be fair, I do. And I, obviously I've got news alerts on my phone and on, I'm on Twitter a lot. Uh, so... My word, actually, when I sit back and think about it, um, I probably do way too much. But yeah, I, I, I do the whole plethora. I don't have Snapchat, so maybe maybe that's it. But aside from that, um, I, I'm on almost every other platform and use every device possible. Apart from the, I suppose the one thing I think that I have really changed in the last kind of five or six years is that I do no longer buy an actual newspaper. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I subscribe, and I think it's really important. Journalism doesn't work for free, and so. Uh, my, my opinion is, if you can afford it, you should, you know, subscribe to a newspaper every day. But like, I don't, I don't, I don't have the paper, the physical paper anymore, and that's probably been the biggest change. Uh, but aside from that, um, I literally get my news and consume media on pretty much every device, and clearly, I do it way too much by the sounds of things. <laughs> well, Derek, Derek, that's a huge buffet of news. Um, but I'm sure there's a space on that table for GB News, and we indeed, all indeed. wish you all the best uh, you with your soon launch of this fantastic news channel. Um, and thank you so much for being our guest on the Atos Digital Society podcast, which you can subscribe to. And if you've got any questions or any points you'd like to raise to us, then please do feel free to email us at uh, Digital Society dot atos dot net i look forward to having my next guest in a few weeks time uh, join me for episode six see you all and speak to you all soon thank you to learn more about the podcast or suggest topics or guests for future episodes please contact us at digital society at atos dot net or visit the atos website